So, well, my news is I I was selected as one of the fellows for the Tip Tree Fellowship, which encompasses $500 to dedicate to whatever artistic research you're encompassing. And um, I am working on my young adult novel, which requires me to travel to certain parts of Ecuador, which mining is taking place and discovering some colonial mines. And that 500 bucks goes a long ways here. And I'm very excited to um, be awarded that prize. It feels like finally some validation because down here, it's tough to get funded for creative writing projects. It's either science or nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I have been waiting so many days to hear you say those words on this podcast. Woo! yeah i i'm very excited i'm planning my trip like oh my god this money is worth so much here i can do so much yeah so and i i was talking about it with some colleagues and they're like can we go with you so now i have like friends for a research trip so it's it's exciting yeah how how academic of you you've basically evolved into an anthropologist just with this one fellowship (gasps) I have. <laughs> My dreams are coming true. It's <laughs> all it takes. 500 bucks. The Tip Tree Fellowship announcements are especially exciting for me because the other winner is another friend of mine. So I just want to shout her out right now. Um, her name is Vita Cruz, and her project is, if I'm recalling correctly, an alternate history of the Philippines. Um, and the stories are all coming from uh, this one journalist. And the uh, first story is called First Play for and by Tik Balong Triggers Uproar on Opening Night. And it is published in Expanded Horizons. So I'm real excited for Vita. I'm also real excited for you, Anna. Thank you. I'm also really excited for Vita's work. It sounds fascinating. And I love how, like... Um, she's also thinking of like the remnants of colonialism in her country and how she's sort of like exploring Um, them through speculative fiction. It's like a pattern over here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Vita is a fantastic writer and always has a great perspective in her stuff. Uh, So I'm excited to see all of these stories coming out and also, yeah, science fiction to explore like the remnants and legacy of colonialism, especially Spanish colonialism, is fucking awesome. And what uh, what uh, what have you been up to over there? And by over there, I mean America. <laughs> <laughs> so my my news is uh, much more low key, but like two sort of like progressy things um, mm-hmm. from the last few days. Uh, the first is that I got a rejection recently, which I am excited about because I just haven't been submitting much. And it was like the one thing I've really submitted in the last couple months. Mm-hmm. So to hear back reminded me that I have work that I have been and can submit. So it was just like a oh. nice little reminder in my email. What a great way to flip that around. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it, you know, it's, they say it's progress. I mean, by they, I mean, all of us say it's progress. I mean, our our professor at Iowa State, during my first workshop with him, he brought to class a folder, like a giant ass folder filled with like written typed up rejection letters from these big journals. And he just like poured the letters on the table and, and was like, and we're like, it was like, look at them, touch them, read them, <laughs> absorb them. <laughs> these will be your future. And I was like, damn oh. man, you've got to reject it a lot. <laughs> uh. I've, but he has books out, you know, it's part of the progress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And so the other thing is that last time I talked about having submitted to an agent and 
then basically like stopped querying because that felt like such a big step. Yeah. And just a couple of days ago, I sent out another query. So I got kind of Bronte. back on that horse. Oh, that's beautiful. How many days has it been since your first uh, contact with that editor guy? Today's so the agent eight, guy. Right? Uh-huh. Uh, three months and six days. Okay. But who's cool. counting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. So have you gotten a lot of like personalized rejection letters or just standard um, nonsense <laughs> so, <laughs> in your submission history? <laughs> a pretty good mix of both. Um, I haven't, I mean, I haven't been submitting as much in the last couple of years, which means also I haven't been getting as many personalized rejections, obviously. Right. But um there was a while, there are a couple stories I have that pretty frequently get personal notes on them. Um, and, you know, depending on the journal, a lot of them in, in like science fiction and fantasy do a pretty good job of um, giving back personal feedback. But I'd say a couple of my stories probably have like a quarter to a third uh, like personalized response, which I consider pretty good. That's great. Yeah. I didn't really know the definition of a personalized response until I got into the program. People were like, yeah, I got this beautiful rejection letter. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> how How is that beautiful? Um, and then I I got one and it's beautiful because they get you and then they're like, thank you, next. <laughs> 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 they don't want it, but they thank you for showing it to them. And yeah. there's something about that. And they give you feedback, which is maybe feedback that you, you wouldn't have heard back in the workshop room. Feedback mm -hmm. from an editor, which is, you know, essential also. Um, I recently got a rejection letter from the story that I wrote for my thesis. And this is a story that I am very passionate about and it's, you know, my typical 25 pages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and as per our conversation, like our first podcast, um, you can't go back to it, <laughs> but I've tried to, and I've sent it out. And then I recently got this rejection from this, um, editor who was like, listen, this is beautiful, but change this and it's done. And it gave me hope that I could actually go back to it and change it and then let it free, let it go <laughs> uh -huh. somewhere it belongs instead of just my desktop. Um, that is the best feeling, but also the worst feeling because when uh -huh. it says this story's perfect, change this one thing, also rejection, it's like, Whoa, why wouldn't you just buy it from me and make me change the one thing? <laughs> but why do you do that to me? I mean, the struggle is real here. I don't know why I'm talking in so many idioms, but the struggle is here, real. Um, they're like, work on this, but don't send it back to us because we only read, you know, these works once. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but thank you. You know, I just, it's mm -hmm. bittersweet for sure. I'm so glad you're submitting. I feel I like think. I need to get back on that horse too. This is my, like, story that I think will only fit in a couple of places though. So getting a getting a rejection was also like, oh, there's one off my list of like three places that might publish this weird ass story. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it came in and I was like, I should send that out again. I haven't yet, but maybe one of these days. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also fun to, I have this story that's on cue. Just like waiting mm -hmm. and waiting. It's like yeah. 36 days now. <laughs> back in the day, back in the day, I checked submission grinder so frequently. I was like, okay, it's been 12 hours. Let's uh, see who's gotten rejections and like, oh, they're rejecting at 25 days. I've been there 23. All right. It's a good sign. <laughs> For sure. Um, <laughs> and if our listeners, heard our first podcast they will know because time um that this is my story that poured out of me <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and it's out there oh. getting read by a journal and hopefully it'll find a home there but this is a progress right like it took me a while to write well not a while a weekend and it's been out there so i've been dealing with this story for a couple months now um that's like the story trajectory mm. it, it involves you know your life it just doesn't you don't write it and let it go it sort of sticks with you forever and more like ways than one (laughs) (laughs) uh how come i haven't got to read this story yet anna well (laughs) i should have said it to you i yeah when i graduated i made you promise me that you were gonna keep track of my writing and like ask for my writing every like three weeks or something Oh, and I, I think you, I thank you for not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to find a way to keep on thinking of like deadlines and producing yeah. work. But also, you know, I've been talking to a couple of people who graduated with me last year. Yeah. And with some notable exceptions, you know, if, you know, those freaks of nature who are just writing all the time. Uh, pretty much everyone has been like, oh, yeah, I've just been decompressing since May. Like, haven't written anything that, you know, I would want to send out. I think it's it's probably a good thing, definitely, that I wasn't pestering you every three weeks because you needed that time, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. And I, it's contradictory, like, for me because I keep thinking – of like our professors and they're like, you are a writer. Why don't you write? Mm-hmm. Um, and their questions of like, what are you writing? What are you working on? What are you reading? And I feel like I should be doing those things because I am a graduate of that program, but mm-hmm. I'm not, but I'm still a graduate of that program. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's okay though. It's, uh, one of my online friends has this philosophy um, that she calls slow bloom. And I think that it applies really well to writing because sometimes you are, you know, going through dormant phases or slower phases of your writing and you really have to focus on kind of the the slowness of it, of how even, you know, sometimes when you're not writing, you really are building up to something that's going to bloom eventually. Yeah. And it's a continual process and probably a cycle, which is frustrating. (laughs) It is frustrating. Because I guess there's also this pressure of being young and successful. Mm, I remember telling my best friend here that before 30, I want a novel. A novel mm-hmm. out, and she was like, "Isn't that doesn't that take time?" And I was like, "What do you know?" Okay, <laughs> <laughs> don't talk to me. I am a writer. Okay, I know this world, but yeah. no, it's just you know those stupid ass articles like thirty under thirty or whatever the shit. Um, mm-hmm. It it doesn't measure like your your level of productivity doesn't fucking measure your worth, which is something I wrote on Instagram a while ago, and I was like, yes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And especially in like the American writing scene, mm-hmm. being, being you know, a young author, there's such a like reverence for successful young authors. Uh, and there's like never a holy shit, look at this first book published when the author was 90. Kind of like. Right. Uh. But yeah, it's uh, it makes for a lot of like unnecessary and unhealthy pressure. Definitely, I remember when I was about to start the program, mm-hmm. and I was talking to some of my friends. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I'm really sad that I haven't, you know, written a novel yet or whatever. And I was like, 22 at the time, and. <sighs> I was talking to some of my, like, friends who were, you know, older and, like, well-established in in their, like, artistic careers. And they're like, what? 
you have so much time. And I was like, I don't though, do I? <laughs> but I like, feel that hard. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's like a, such a strange pressure that also recently I've begun to stop caring about it. And I'm like, maybe I'll publish this book in 10 years. Let's see. <laughs> well, part of you is accomplished because you've written a novel. So your 22 year old self, it is proud. Sure. Yes. But now you have a new, how old are you around to 27? Just <laughs> 26. Oh my God, when's your birthday? No, I'm just kidding. July. <laughs> um, oh. uh, what was I going to say? So there is, oh yeah, you have your new self who is now like, oh, if I don't get it published, I'm not successful. So like, you have these right. new challenges always for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that applies to other like realms of my life when I'm like, ooh, when I get like skinnier, it'll be so much better. <laughs> when I get like this, when I get this book done, my life will be better. And I just like started to think that it's not true. <laughs> um, and it's just wishful thinking in a very dangerous way. Um, yeah. But fuck, like you did it. You wrote a novel. So I'm, I'm extremely jealous that you did that, you know, because... I mean, stories are fun and beautiful and important, but puta, the novel. Right. But I, I mean, I, that's, that's a, another component of the like unnecessary pressure and the sort of like fake idolization of creativity, right? It's like mm -hmm. the novel is not an inherently, it's not something that is worth more inherently than a short story, right? Yeah. Or a screenplay. Yeah. Right. It's no, like the, sure. it's the, it's sort of, you know, supposed to be the pinnacle of the writing career. Like, you know, you move from short stories to writing novels and that's when you're a serious writer. Right. But that's also so fake and people should be able to write short stories only ever and not have to worry about writing a novel because it, that just doesn't make sense. And then we go back to market and what sells. Mm -hmm. And it's the novel. Turns um, out. Turns out, yeah. I definitely have that encrusted in me, which is to be great is to write a novel. <laughs> but I did not grow up like that because, like, Gabriel Garcia Marquez stories and Julio Cortazar stories, I was like, these are beautiful and these are everything. Mm -hmm. And they are. They are, you know, I don't know. They felt like there was an entire world of stories out there which matter. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> the reason I fell in love with short stories was because I knew that in such a short, like 12 to, you know, 30 pages, you could do so much. Um, and... Uh -huh. And of course, you know, switching from like my favorite short story about Gabriel Garcia Marquez, which is light is like water, switching to oh, 100 Years of Solitude, there's a big, big gap. But yet the wonder, the magic, the narrator, he's still uh -huh. there. Right. He's still so there. Many, so many of the elements that make that novel like magical and things that you're like, oh, wow, this can only happen in a novel. This is why this is the form to aspire to. Mm -hmm. then you you read light is like water and you're like oh these are all there it has every oh, bit yeah. of, of this like magic and perfection as yeah. what it does it's really just about how many pages do you need man for this for this one mm -hmm. um and i feel like why i'm working on a novel now is yes i'm trying to always thinking about publishing before i'm 30 type of thing but also this story that i want to tell about this ghost girl <laughs> and this, you know, girl in Gita mm -hmm. fall in love. I can't do that in uh, 30 pages. It's not going to work for me. Right. So it's like, it's out of necessity. <laughs> Which is exactly how it should be. And I mean, that's, that's what happened with my thesis too. I, I can't remember if we talked about this before, but you know, mm -hmm. I wrote the short story version of it and then 
the next few months, I just kept on thinking about that story and those characters. And I was like, you know, I could also have put this part in and this part in. And all of a sudden, I was like, this absolutely needs to be a novel. It, it is a novel, and I just haven't put it in that form yet. Right. Um, but also, one of the one of the things about short stories that you know tells me that they are you know equally impactful and equally as important as novels is the length of time it takes me to read a novel versus the length of time it takes me to read an anthology or a short story collection. Uh huh. It sometimes will just take me weeks to get through like 200 pages of short stories. Whereas, you know, I might have read a couple of novels of equal length in that time because the emotional impact of every short story and reading them and reading them and delving into all these worlds, it, it does, like I said before, hold as much as a novel does, or it can. It can. Yeah. And I think that's one of the kind of like most illuminating examples to me of why the short story is valuable as itself and is as valuable as a novel. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I think a short story collection is something that you can't sort of like dive into and, and submerge yourself like a novel. Mm -hmm. it, it takes time to think about that story that you read. Yeah. And then when you're done reading all of them, why are they in the same collection? How are they right. connecting? What do they have to say about each other? It's like a whole it's a whole thing. Mhm. Mm Absolutely. I think about it like when I decided in like 7th grade I'm going to be a writer was because I started we started reading short stories in class. And there's mm -hmm. something magical about doing something in those short amount of pages. Yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. And storytelling, like oral narratives, are a very important part of this culture down here. And I think their immediate sort of like translation into written text serves well within the context of a short story. Hmm. Interesting. Are written oral narratives of like the legend of Padre Almeida or legend of like the devil and colonial quito are if written if the oral narrative is written they're like one page mm -hmm. right but within mm -hmm. that there's of course like a collapsed universe within that um, right. but it works i mean that's what i did for my thesis these these legends um transformed adapted retold they work so well in the short story setting because they sort of work with each other. Hmm. Me trying to defend my thesis again. <laughs> well, Anna, let me ask you about some of the thematic inquiries your thesis made. Of course, of course. <laughs> Why a collection, you ask? Well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you do have a number of, of things that pop up throughout your thesis um, that are are present in all or most of the stories. And even though these aren't necessarily set in the same timelines, it sort of builds a network of like perspectives and experiences around, uh, you know, landmarks or people or just places, ideas, pichincha, you know, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think the, like you said, it's sort of a collapsed whole universe and there are iterations and variations on the truth within kind of that network. Yeah. And how did, this is, we talked about this, I don't know if it was our second podcast, but we talked about um, blurring the lines between genre and we talked like poetry, fiction, nonfiction. Uh -huh. uh -huh. And then there's like format of the short story and novel. And how Gabriel Garcia Marquez does that, the blurring of the short story and the novel is like, you read one or the other, the effect is still grandeur, the effect is still overwhelming. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's because of the 
not just the subject matter, but the narrative approach. There's something about that narrator. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. He has he has interesting approaches to omniscience and uh, just like what a narrator can possibly know. And I, think I remember your your presentation on say nine soledad. Yeah, you made us read the first chapter for homework, which is the first time I read it in English, and I was like, "Whoa, it's still good." <laughs> Yes, um, amazing. Yeah, it's really good. It's fucking weird. It's still good. Um, which is something to say about translation or something to say about Garcia Garcia Marquez. Like there's some magic in there. And you gave a whole lecture about time, how time works in the novel. Mm-hmm. And that was better than like my Spanish teachers in Kumbaya. <laughs> in Kumbaya. <laughs> oh. Because we just you, looked at like historical matters and like thematic, but you were like, "Bitch, time is everything in this novel," and I was like, oh, "Yes." <laughs> you flatter me. It's like I learned <laughs> something that day. Well, it's because I never had looked at it with like, you know, literary analytical eyes. It was always mm-hmm. been like, "Read this for homework." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I knew, I knew going into it like that assignment that I wanted to talk about 100 years of solitude. And I didn't know like what exactly I wanted to say just because we could only assign a chapter. Yeah. But when I, when I sat down and gave it that like close reading, it was amazing how much of the technique unfolded just like in those pages. It was, you know, one of the main points of, <laughs> of my little lecture was that the whole book happens in the first chapter. Yes. And oh, that was that was a whole lot of fun to, like, discover as I was sitting at my table fretting about what on earth I would talk about. <laughs> but you it's, did a really good job. And I think that, like, that gives us kind of hints into – the short story versus novel too, right? Because if mm-hmm. if you just read that chapter as a short story, mm-hmm. it would probably work. You'd be like, there's a whole mm-hmm. lot more there. But his writing in particular always feels like there's a whole lot more there. It's such a lived-in world every time. Yes. Yes, it does. God. Masterful. Although my, my art history pr- teachers at, at Drake, professors at Drake, would not let us use the word masterpiece because mm-hmm. well I went I had like a Marxist upbringing of art history <laughs> so we looked at it through a Marxist lens um, uh-huh. and the ma- the word masterpiece is you know is um, hierarchical fucked up yeah <laughs> but what a masterpiece <laughs> uh, it really is though. Plus, one of the things that I loved about exploring that piece was coining my own term for something I'm sure there is already a literary term for. But, you know, every time Gabriel Garcia Marquez, like, jumps a little bit into the future and jumps back immediately, mm-hmm. I, I remember I ended up calling that scrying. And every time I, like, read his his works again i'm just like imagining the narrator kind of like showing you like a little a little bowl of water with a reflection of the future in it and then taking it back away and going back to the main story and i'm like damn i was a genius when i came up with that <laughs> yeah so other than light is like water what are some short stories that stick out to you as their own version of a novel or equal to novels or short stories that have achieved the pinnacle of that form. Well, here's something to like complicate our answer or our, our theory of Gabriel Garcia Marquez, which is um, my favorite story is a novella, <laughs> uh-huh. which is Chronicle of a Death Foretold. Man, that is just oof everything I've ever wanted to read and write in 60 pages. Mm. Um, but I would consider that a long short story. You know me. Interesting, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, for you, that would be a little bit long. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it is a little bit long. Um, well, a short story that encompasses a whole thing. Mm. I guess it's happened before with other ones, but. Huh. Do encyclopedia entries count? <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> well, I don't want to say that I've only had this experience with um, Gobble. We keep saying Gabriel Semi because we could just call him Gobble. It's getting long about his yeah. work, but he's like, he and Cortazar and Borges are everything we read in high school. Oh, mm-hmm. Don Quixote, of course. Um, so those are the works that I think... Ooh, maybe it's because it's the same genre. <gasps> genre! <laughs> there we go. May That's all it. Important well, okay, here are my favorite, like, stories by the three authors I mentioned. Aside, Don Quixote, you know. But mm-hmm. three authors I mentioned. Um, Cortázar, I showed you the story, Axolotl. Yeah. Um, Borges, um, Gospel According to Mark, and Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Light is Like Water, like okay. short stories. All three of them are magical realism, and these are magical realism dependent on the country. So we have Colombian magical realism, we have Argentinian magical realism, and then we have like Argentinian and Parisian magical realism. Um, mm-hmm. And they're short. They're like maximum 10 pages. No, maximum like seven pages. Um, and I remember having um, a similar experience with all three stories, which is an, an experience where this felt like eternal in a good way, where it was an omniscient narrator. Wait, no, Axolotl is the first person narration. Um, yeah. But now I'm thinking that because it was this magical realism genre, there's something within that, um, those elements that maybe suggest an unexplored yet contained universe within those, within those 10 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, because in terms of like literary fiction and short stories, I mean, I've experienced beauties like Sunny's Blues by James Baldwin. Like, come on. Right, right. Fucking, fucking, ugh, I can't even talk about it without crying. Um, and... I mean, yeah, I've experienced beautiful things, but contained universes. I would have to go for those magical realism stories. Interesting. Because, you know, when I think about it too, one of the first ones that comes up for me is uh, not exactly magical realism, but definitely adjacent and probably inspired by the magical realists. Um, But Kelly Link's short story or novella, I think probably novella, uh, mm. Magic for Beginners. Mm, I remember you talking to me about that story. Yeah, it's it has such a strange allure, and there's a lot going on in this world that is alluded to, but that we don't, you know, ever directly see. And it's another instance where it just feels very lived in like there is this whole world that the people Mm. there know about and we don't Mm -hmm. and another one that uh, i was just thinking of was the breath of war by aliette de bedard and this is sort of like a it's a second world fantasy but it's just got a, a whole lot going on and it's kind of talking about colonialism in a number of ways but also about like family history and about trauma and it's a similar thing where there's there's places beyond this planet that we're reading about and that are alluded to that we never really get to see but we know that they have such a heavy impact on Hmm. on the events taking place in the story so this feeling that this sort of feeling that we're trying to describe what I'm thinking of picking up here is the idea of depth, like history, like how much time, mm-hmm. not how much time we're covering in a single story, but how much time has what you said lived in, mm-hmm. what has sort of happened without us knowing about it, but it is implied. 
Um, it's interesting. Yeah, and also one of the things I've found out numerous times trying to recreate this is that it's really difficult to write and not just sound, you know, like super cheesy or really uh, constructed. Mm-hmm. It's this is I mean, it seems kind of easy to boil something down to saying, you know, you need depth of of a universe in your story or a depth of, you know, a lifetime in your story. But it's mm-hmm. so hard to do. It's it's <laughs> so hard to know or to pretend to know all of these things about uh, the, these people you're writing about. Mm hmm. To pretend to know. I like that. Mm. Because that's what happens to me when I'm writing a story. I'm like, I know who they are, but when I'm writing it, I'm like, do I know who you are? (laughs) And what happens to me a lot when I'm writing is I really do have to pretend to know a character because there are so many versions of the story that could happen. And as I'm writing them, they're all equally legitimate and they're all true all of these things have happened to the character mm-hmm. but you know in different spaces or in different timelines uh in different iterations and sometimes i feel like i have a really robust but impossibly contradicted character and i kind of have to suss out which version of this character is in the story i'm telling oof that's that's it. <laughs> implying <laughs> all those things, implying that the narrator knows more, but does not have to tell you right now because we're focusing on a different thing. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can yes. do it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I'm not the one to judge that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess short story writing, especially. Novels too, but short stories especially, is a a complicated sleight of hand. (laughs) It is, and I take it for granted because I'm like, ooh, it's fun. And then I keep, you know, I was talking to one of my colleagues and they're like, the short story is the most difficult, you know, format to work with because every word has to be, you know, exact. And there's like a little formula that has to work out just perfectly in those pages. And I'm like, Really? Because, like... (laughs) (laughs) This feels perfectly natural. Yeah. And I'm not saying because I'm fucking good at it. Because I'm saying, like, what is good about the short story is its potential, not its limitations. If Mm. that makes any sense. Mm. Interesting. And Um, beautiful. Thank you so much. (laughs) I get pissed when people talk shit about how hard it is to write a short story. Not because I'm good at it, again. But because it's... I don't know. Don't fucking, you know. It's like the whole thing about putting the novel in the pedestal. Mm-hmm. Don't do it, because then I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> don't give me that shit, okay? <laughs> we haven't even started to get into the territory of flash fiction being its own sort of uh, juggling act in terms of doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have much to say about flash fiction. <laughs> sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. What can I tell you? Um, for sale, baby shoes never worn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I've seen some great subversions of that story, particularly. <laughs> yeah. It was like the first meme ever. <laughs> uh, it was. Um, that, that and uh, this is just to say. <laughs> This is just, oh, I talked about it with my students today. I was like, do you guys want to read, like, a poem that's sorry, not sorry? <laughs> I am the worst teacher ever. <laughs> no, no, Anna, I am the worst teacher ever. Did I ever tell you, did I ever tell you that one time it was, like, 1 a.m. before finals week, before portfolios were due for our classes? <laughs> do you want to keep going with this? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's just that I was like already 
stressed and tired. And then it was mm -hmm. late at night. And I wanted to send a reminder email to my students to, you know, submit their portfolio on time. And nice. I did put it in this is just to say format. <laughs> <laughs> what? You never like, told me that. <laughs> I was all pleased with myself. I'm like, ah, yes, I'm a genius. And then I got a really confused email from one of my students who had like probably never ever read this poem because of many reasons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're like, uh, is everything okay? Did I do something wrong? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was just meaning. <laughs> I was fault. just desperate. <laughs> Why didn't you write them a limerick? No idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, can't hold I like your limericks they were, they were efficient and by efficient I mean like, like swift <laughs> uh, that's what target. I love about them target, target reached yeah <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well one of the challenges that I give my, my short story students at the end of the semester is like okay you turned in your final 12 short story 12 page short story good for you now, today, for our final day, I want you to write a one-sentence story. And they're like, what? <laughs> Why would you what do you, that to us? What do you mean, Anna? <laughs> you just made us write 12 pages. So I, like, show them. But, you know, Hemingway. But I also show them. There's this really funny one. I forgot this writer's name. Brian something. Um, the title is, Houston, We Have a Problem. Mm -hmm. And the line is, um, I'll tell them you were a hero. Uh and I'm just like, see that? I want you to do that. <laughs> it, the story is not there, but it's all there. Mm -hmm. And that's what good fiction should do. Yeah. Because that's absolutely. like a whole. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think that can be a really important exercise because in a way that other short story writing doesn't, it shows you how much impact like cultural context has on uh -huh. story, right like you have to you have to write that one sentence about you know something that people are already going to know about or going to be able to draw a connection to right also <laughs> had like not an argument but a discussion with a colleague today because she was asking me what kind of short stories my students turn in throughout mm -hmm. the semester. And I was like, well, their first three-page short story is genre-specific. So it could be horror. It could be Southern Gothic. It could be um, fairy tale retelling. Or it could be mm -hmm. magical realism. Or it could be like a, a story with a fucking monster in it. And she was like, oh, my God. That's so specific. That's so hard. Why? And that's like so biased. And I was like. First of all, yes. <laughs> Biased AF. Yes, of course. Look at me. <laughs> um, well, let's not even get into the fact that she only calls that bias based on, you know, a literary canon bias, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's difficult here. You know, it's, <laughs> it's difficult for us genre, genre girls do other scene. <laughs> <laughs> genre ahead, peeps I'm fine with that <laughs> genre girls to um, make it out here you know to get represented which is why I'm so thankful for the tip tree award <laughs> not yeah. award sorry fellowship that's a whole other thing <laughs> <laughs> when, when you get a tip tree award we will we will have to do so much more than just a podcast to celebrate oh my god for sure when I write that novel, you know. Oh my God! See those statements. When I write, when I finish, when I do this. Anyway, um, so my argument for her, for my colleague, was like, "Listen, um, they're literally starting to learn how to do storytelling. They've heard stories all their life. Their lives are shaped by stories, uh -huh. and it's kind of hard to get down and write one. So thinking about genre and maybe trying to follow some, uh, to emulate some other writers and to think about." sort of the limits that they set up for themselves, like writing a story with a vampire, like uh -huh. uh, Karen Russell, what were her limitations and what are her limitations? How did she sort of like delete those limitations and go move forward and expand her, the usual Dracula genre into something else, uh -huh. which is like the real challenge here. How do you tell your story um, in the best way possible? 
And right. and then she was like, what other genres do you teach later on? And I was like, well, post-apocalyptic, um, science fiction. <laughs> uh-huh. And then we get into like indigenous writing. And she was like, so <laughs> where is it? <laughs> where is it? And I was like, Why oh, we do do it? Hemingway. No, we do do Hemingway. Elephants. He was like, what elephants? Near the end of the semester. Because it's interesting to talk about style and minimalistic writing. Of course, of course. But um later <laughs> yeah you you have your token Hemingway but we'll, we'll get to that I know it's kind of like forced its way in there but you no know, it's really interesting because it's all dialogue so it's mm-hmm. you know kind of genre bending as well with like screenplay or and, play right and I've talked a little bit in our second episode about that pop flash and form poetry class that I took yeah And one of the things that that really highlighted for me is that form can be restrictive or it can be freeing. Because if you you know that you're writing one specific thing, you don't have Mm -hmm. to bother with all the details of, you know, like, how is this story going to look? Kind of what elements am I going to have? You can say, I'm just writing a slasher horror story. That's what I Mm got to, like, I have that scaffold now. And I can mm-hmm. build around it. Like, yeah. Um, I think, no, I, I, I love that approach. And that's why one of my favorite exercises as a writer and as a teacher when I'm doing creative writing mm-hmm. is to say, okay, if you want to write speculative fiction, you can. But the first time you do it, you have to follow the formula of, this world is exactly like ours, except, mm-hmm. and then one thing. Because, one, I think that stories of the real world, except for one attribute, yield really interesting results. Mm-hmm. But also, a lot of times, students are like, okay, cool. So, like, I, I know exactly everything about this world, except that, you know, like, this one thing, it, it releases a lot of pressure off of having to build your own magic system or, you know, yes. name all the moons that, that are orbiting your planet and, you know, <laughs> all of this, all of this stuff that kind of like gets really baked into tropes and that students often start thinking they like really have to rely on. Right. The results that I'm seeing are completely fascinating. I mean, you know my story, um, Condor, El Condor del Machangara, which uh-huh. is like this condor um, who lives in my river here in Kumbaya. And my uh-huh. student wrote a story, like, it's like the Loch Ness Monster of Machangara. Really? Yeah. And it's this monster that by day is like a puppy. And she's like drinking river <laughs> water. And by uh-huh. night, it's a fucking beast. Um, and so interesting. Um that's the exploration, yeah, it's the exploration of place, and also like who we call monsters and why we call them monsters, mm-hmm. um, and it all worked out because of the genre he chose. I don't know; it's it's important. I see the I see the I was gonna say profit. That sounds horrible. I see the <laughs> the fruit, you know, of the labor. I see it. Yeah. It comes. Yes. It comes through. Because my classes of short fiction were, you know, no magic there until I got to the program. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at college, we read a lot of Puta, Eliza's favorite writer. Um, 10th of December, George Saunders. Ah, okay. Uh Like, really good writing, but like, and like kind of cuckoo, but like still literary. Right, it's still distinctly. Literary. Still like New York Times. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh huh. So I tried to write that about Quito, and it was just like not fit, or I couldn't make it fit. Maybe I'm the right. wrong writer for that. And the more wow. I think about it, the mm-hmm. speculative the speculative life chose me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> either it chose you or me and phoebe ushered you into it <laughs> yes i think or so. i don't know about usher maybe pressured <laughs> you into it 
<laughs> yeah, and please continue with the Quito sci-fi world too, because I need to get there. That's like my ultimate form. <laughs> I I want it so bad. I think about. I know I've already told you this, but I think about that picture of of Quito with the, the ring around it so mm -hmm. frequently. Oh, I want to do you good, man. <laughs> oh, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so since we've been talking about uh, literary things and how neither of us are you know, very good at putting putting our, our work into a literary form strictly, it uh, reminds me of our challenge from last time, which was to sort of read outside of our boundaries, our normal boundaries. Yeah. Have you been able to... Or, or I think you were reading the the Ecuadorian sci-fi, right? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard. Um, <laughs> um, it's okay. First of all, it's like eighteen hundreds kind of writing, right? Which is it's, just default difficult. Yeah, huh? Spanish, which I was talking to a trans uh, to um trans to a translator <laughs> in the university. And I was like, is, why does it take in Spanish to write the same thing in English, but like with like 30 more words? And she was like, oh, it's like a 25% of increased words. And yes, I was like, where'd you get that it. number? Like, where'd you get it? Because I've been looking for a number my whole life to try to explain to people <laughs> why English is more concise. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, it's like if you study a translation. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I'm reading this and I'm like, where the fuck is this sentence going type of thing? Uh -huh. It reminds me of like when I get, when I meet with my lawyer and he's like talking and he just like <laughs> talks a lot. And I'm like, oh, can you just say the one, the one thing, man? <laughs> I need to listen. <laughs> um, so to, to be honest with you, Bronte, I put it down for a while because I was like, oh, okay, I'll finish it later. And uh -huh. I didn't. It's just intimidation of prose, which it has got to me. But right. I will, I will finish it because I need to know. Like, it's mostly Guayaquil too, which is very interesting. That is um, interesting. You know, Guayaquil was this giant port, very important for colonial times. So it's very interesting what they're doing there. Um, but I still, you know, haven't gotten to. Like, I started like two pages in, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Gotta put this down. <laughs> yeah. Also. It makes me feel like I've forgotten Spanish, but I haven't because I just wrote, you know, an email in Spanish. So I know it. Right. <laughs> this is a totally different register, though. I can. It's one of those things where even if it is your native language, if you're not using that register frequently, good luck reading it. Yeah, I don't know. It makes me doubt my bilingual skills, but. What we should do is translate it together. <gasps> Oh my god, please. The like the four page story could literally be two paragraphs. Twenty five percent. Some uh, uh generous editorial choices. <laughs> Seriously for sure. It takes too long. And when my students like who mainly speak Spanish try to write in English, they do it too. They take so long to say one thing and I'm like, how are you doing this in English? Mm. where the requirements are like you're going way above and beyond to put in words where they don't belong. Right. It's really interesting. No, dad, no, I'm like the bashing Spanish here, but I am a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, uh, Don Quixote, mm -hmm. when was that written? Uh, 16, 16 is when he died, I think. So, uh -huh. Cervantes. And so I think, I think it was like, 1611 and 1615. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, but there's a reason why they teach that text in high school to high schoolers who have like short attention spam and who just like want to make out with other people because his <laughs> prose, even though it is a bunch of words, it's every word is funny. Every word is something. Mm -hmm. Every word is a double entendre. Like every word is interesting. Hmm. So he made it work. Mm -hmm. Like, Dulcinea, you know, it, it works, everything there. Like, there, every line is like, oh, snap, you know? It's... Right. So I appreciate him a lot, 
you know. And then you re you regret Marquez. He is super concise. He's mm -hmm. super concise. He says a whole lot in not very much space. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a way, people. <laughs> people, Spanish-speaking populations. There is a way. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't found it yet. <laughs> Either. So we're on the same page. Yeah, I, I'm. I get pretty bad at it myself. Mm -hmm. But like, I spent a lot of time after high school fiddling around with writing the longest sentences I could. So I only have like. <laughs> I like that. Ooh, I like that. Um, so this past week, I have done some reading not as far outside of my usual as as I would have liked to, but mm -hmm. um, I am almost finished with Tanana Reeve short story collection, Ghost Summer. Oh. And uh, this is a collection of horror stories for the most part. And I um, am not very good at reading horror, especially because a lot of horror involves children, and that just makes it so much worse for me. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know you had that yeah. going on. It's not, uh, I don't know. It's not that I get particularly scared. I'm just like, huh, I don't want to continue. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I've been reading horror. Not judging you. Like, that's uh -huh. a good thing, I guess. And then I also finally read... Uh, Claudia Rankine's Citizen. Ah, yes. I read a couple of poems in that. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't, I wouldn't say it's necessarily outside my usual scope, but I don't read as much poetry as perhaps I ought to. Um, and no, hers is like also new media-ish, so it is kind yes. of new um, territory. So it's like the, the Serena Williams um, pictures and stuff. It's mm -hmm. It's a whole new method. Yeah, All it's very form. visual. Uh -huh. It does, what we were talking about last time, blur those lines between poetry mm -hmm. and uh, prose and fiction and nonfiction all at the same time. So yes. I guess I answered my question from last time. Why can't they be all one thing? They are. Uh, citizen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, uh -huh. But yeah, it's uh, that one I think I'm particularly glad I read because now I know I need to read it again <laughs> to mm -hmm. make sure I'm, you know, like getting all of those, all of those things that I'm not, or getting all of the meaning when I'm reading in a form that I'm not as accustomed to reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's overall good. Hmm. It is. It's good for you. <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> I don't see any way it could be bad for someone. Yeah, no. I've been reading these anthropological um, texts. You know, like, I'm a big fan of anthropology. Um, on class and race in Ecuador, because I'm looking into how I can make my nonfiction essay about <laughs> these people who thought I was a maid. <laughs> I told you that story, I feel right? bad for even laughing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you did. Well, it's because it's, it's nervous laughter because there's something I can do with that. But then I also have to talk about my maid and like my experience. So it's, mm -hmm. there's a lot there. So I've been reading these articles and I'm also thinking of including what I'm doing is like with this creative nonfiction piece, it's basically going to become like a kind of a research paper, which I want to send out to this journal. Um, it's called New Writing and they publish like creative nonfiction, but research e creative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Um, and. Uh, I also kind of want to talk about how the actress from Roma, um, Yalitza, she's been on the cover of Vogue and she, people have been like, why is there an indigenous woman on the cover of Vogue kind of thing? So like it's brought up, you know, she plays a, a maid in the movie Roma. So it's like, it's brought up a bunch of things that I think I could encounter too. So I've been reading like, <laughs> like newspaper articles about it, but also like gossip magazines and what they have to say mm -hmm. about it. Um, I'm thinking of introducing all of that to my to my paper, um, so it's going to be an interesting mixed media <laughs> bash of stuff. 
because it's also like a very poetic narration of how I was confused for a maid at the beach by a close family of of my my friend so it's it's interesting it's fun really I didn't have to do it as not as fiction I can tell that story in a different way which could be academic and it's still I'm telling that story yeah and I think it's you know really important to be able to have those stories in multiple spaces mm-hmm. right you have to send me that too just so you know yeah when I'm finished because this is now an accountability podcast oof it has become what we <laughs> didn't want <laughs> No, no, yeah. We won't let it be that. We won't. I mean, I probably need it. Let's be honest here. It's already February, and I've only written one thing and worked on my novel like one percent. So it's not, it's not going well. Let's be honest here. Um, So I have have been putting off a lot of writing by reading a lot, which like doesn't feel so bad. No, I think that's great. I also (laughs) had a realization the other day. I was like, just like laying in bed, kicking my feet and reading my phone. And I like had some kind of idea run through my head. And I was like, Ooh, I want to write that as a short story. And I was immediately like, uh, nope, there's too many problems with trying to turn that into a story. No! No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, I, my, my realization was that I think the past couple of months I have been starting to want to write a lot more than, you know, maybe most Mm -hmm. of the last year, Mm -hmm. but you know, I've talked about the kind of pressure of professionalism before. Uh, So I I'm wanting to write, but I'm also kind of psyching myself out about everything. I start to think about writing and just think like, you know, of how complicated things could get or of how much, of how much I want to examine in mm-hmm. everything that I write and like how much space is there to really talk about this, 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 or this. Um, right. And so part, the other part of my realization was that like, I'm psyching myself out about the process of writing a story that can encapsulate a kind of all of the ideas I want it to and address all of the like problems with, with the world or with whatever I'm thinking about that. I think the story should, Mm -hmm. or not even that I think the story should, but that like a lot of times when I write, I want to actively portray a world I could see existing or or ways that I think that we could change to, you know, live in a better world or to, mm-hmm. there's just so many, so many problems that I want to work out. And a short story is not the place to do all of that. It's a place mm-hmm. to do one or two of those things. And I'm uh, sort of freaking myself out about trying to accomplish something I shouldn't even be trying in the first place. So for you, it seems that it's worse to tackle the short story. Like it's the worst feeling to think about all those things that you need to do in order to write the short story, all those decisions that you need to make rather than um, thinking about how painful and how much you'll suffer if you don't write it. Yeah. Fuck, dude. We're the other way around. (laughs) Uh, We have two ends here. We do. Yeah. It wasn't always that way, though. You know, before I could definitely sit down and, like, sort of write out this world as I saw it coming to me. Mm-hmm. Now I guess I just feel more responsibility to, mm-hmm. I guess, write meaningfully about the world. I don't know. Not that I wasn't yeah. writing meaningfully about the world before, but it's more no, of a I know. I know. Yeah, it's greater responsibility i mean if you're writing something in the solar punk genre like you have to do something with it because it is time like it's appropriate it's demanding it's now so it's uh-huh. it's you know it's a lot of pressure for sure yeah yeah i get that i get that and yet 
Yada, yada, yada. I felt like I was like mm, happy when I was writing that story. And then uh-huh. when I am not writing that story, I am in pain. Mm. And it's, uh, I'm torturing myself. And it's torturing to think about that I should be writing. And so I think we have two legitimate problems here, which I think a lot of people share. I, I can only imagine. <laughs> and if you're listening to this and you share this problem, send us an email because, girl, we're listening. Yeah, All or right. if you have a distinct problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you suffering from something else? <laughs> Do you have a new condition? <laughs> Let us know. Yeah, w- tell us about it and we will taxonomize your inability <laughs> to write the way we do ours. <laughs> all right thanks for listening next episode we want to answer some questions from our beloved new listeners send us an email for a topic or a question or a writing confession you can find us at writing dying at protonmail.com W-R-I-T-I-N-G-D-Y-I-N-G at protonmail.com.